This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson, featuring notes and articles that help you follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout Scripture. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. All right, let's. Um, we're going to turn our attention now to Daniel nine. John, start us off. Summary for people in the car. Uh, any textual issues that need to be kind of addressed, and then we'll we'll look at Christ connections from there. <clears throat> and Jeff will come to you as well. So, John, yeah, chapter nine, take it away. Yeah. So, Daniel chapter nine. Okay. So, I, I don't want to overstate this, but I think Daniel chapter nine may be the most, or is among the most important verses uh, uh, chapters in the Old Testament. And I know that that. And I don't say that because of the endless speculation that has been given. So I'll, I'll just tell this story real quick. Uh, when I was uh, 19, 20, in, in my first preaching class, uh, the pa- the professor assigned everybody in the class. We, we had to preach three sermons, and the third sermon was a, a text he assigned, which was, quote, a difficult passage. We had to preach it in 12 minutes. And he assigned me Daniel 9, 20 through 27. And MacArthur preached three 50-minute sermons on it, and I had to preach it in 12 minutes. And so... Needless to say, it was not it was not good. Okay, uh, but there's there's been volumes and volumes written about Daniel nine, and I think it's the most important chapter because here here's what here's what's going on. Let me just give you the the flyover. In, at the beginning of Daniel chapter nine, Daniel's having his quiet time. Basically, he's 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 reading uh, from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, and we know we know where he's reading Jeremiah twenty nine. Okay, he's reading Jeremiah twenty nine. He's reading Jeremiah twenty five somewhere around there, and. As he's having his quiet time and he's, he's reading this, he sees in Jeremiah 29 that the, the prediction is that Jeremiah says, hey, listen, exile is going to last 70 years. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And he understands that, that he's getting near the end of the time of that 70 year period. Now, he also understands this. He, he understands his Old Testament. At the dedication of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings 8, Solomon says, there's going to be a day when you're driven into exile. And when you're there, you, you turn your face toward this temple and you pray and you repent of your sin. And then God's going to bring you back from exile. And so, so Daniel here is obeying scripture. And so what he does is he starts there. Where is it? In verse three, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he's, he's obeying first Kings eight, uh, first verse 46, I think is, is where it, and following. And, um, and so he sets this amazing and, and don't have time to get into all this, this amazing prayer of repentance, trying to prepare the people to return to the land. Now, uh, lots of stuff we can get into here. Uh, he's praying a corporate prayer, prayer of repentance, not just for his sins, but for the sins of generations of, of Israelites that weren't even his fault and those kind of things. So we, that's maybe something we can discuss at some point, but, and, and the whole, the whole thing is, is driven by, this desire for God to glorify his name. Don't, don't let you do this. Forgive us of our sin. Bring us back to the land so that your name will not be profaned so that you will be uh, glorified because this is what you've, what you promised. And so he sees exile is supposed to last 70 years. We're nearing the end. I need to pray this prayer of repentance so God can bring us back to the land. Well, 
At the end of his prayer, God graciously gives him an answer. And so Gabriel, the angel Gabriel comes to him while he's praying and confessing this as the sin of my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And Gabriel comes to give him uh, a vision uh, or to give him an answer to the prayer. And, um, and here's the answer to the prayer. So I'll just, uh, well, I, I won't get into all of it, but basically here's what, here's the 30,000 foot view of what Gabriel says. Gabriel says, Hey, listen, God heard your prayer. Um, he's going to answer it, but here's the deal. Exile is not going to last 70 years. It's going to last 70 times seven years. And exile is not going to end until the Messiah is cut off. And when the Messiah comes and when the Messiah dies and he's cut off, then he's going to establish righteousness. He's going to, he's going to put it into sin. He's going to, there's going to be atonement for iniquity. Uh, he's going to, he's going to establish the sanctuary, all, all these different things that he, he lays out there. And so it, all of this is going to come to an end when the Messiah is crucified. And then, um, you know, after that, there's, there's uh, obviously there's also in there an antichrist type figure. Uh, that's this idea of the abomination of desolation that's going to be picked up by Jesus um, in the in the Olivet Discourse. Um, and so, but that's that's the 30,000 foot view of what's going on. Reading scripture, seeing 70 years of exile, praying a prayer of repentance to, to, to get them ready to return to the land. God giving the answer, hey, exile is going to last until the Messiah is cut off. Jeff, uh, things you would add there uh, as far as summary or, or textual issues? Well, there's plenty of textual issues towards the end of Daniel 9, that's for sure, that uh, I can't imagine we have time to get into them all. But no, uh, as John said, I mean, he was doing his quiet time and God's word leads to prayer. Uh, uh, but and what I do find interesting, and well, maybe I'm going into application, but he is praying because he knows the promises of God, but that doesn't stop him from praying, even though he knows it's going to come true and he confesses. And then... I mean, regarding the last half, the last little section of those uh, 70 weeks, um, I don't know how much we're going to get into it, but uh, I learned a valuable lesson when I was preparing that, uh, but maybe we'll yeah. <laughs> tell that another time. Go ahead. Yeah, why don't you share that lesson? Yeah. Oh, well, what can I say? I mean, I'm, f I'm from an accountancy background, so I love numbers, uh, and I also love God's Word. So when I get into Daniel 9, I'm just like... A dog with a bone, as they would say, and uh, I'm all over this, and I probably did far more reading than I should have done that week, reading everything possible, adding up numbers, and so actually we were away as a family for a day or two, and I started telling my wife, Caroline, about the interpretation of Daniel 9, and she's she's she loves God's Word. She went to seminary, theological college, she loves it. And I started telling her all the different views, adding up all the weeks, the literal readings, these, uh, the dispensationalist view, this view, that view, adding it all up. I mean, I was loving it all, literally counting. Uh, I thought she was listening to me the whole time. And then I said, what do you think about all that? And she was like, sorry, I, I was on my phone. <laughs> uh, she, and she loves God's word. She was actually had switched off ages ago. And I don't blame her. But that was that was a valuable lesson to me uh, that if my wife, who loves God's word, uh, to, is completely switched off from me going into the details of this prophecy and the different views, well, there is no way I can tell this to the congregation on Sunday because I put her to sleep uh, and I didn't want to put anybody else to sleep. So uh, it was a valuable lesson to learn. So actually, I ended up... Uh, 
producing a little sort of article and diagram. Uh, here's all the reasons why. And if anybody wants to have it, you can pick this up for me because I knew there were certain people in the congregation who would have certain textual <laughs> things. And I said, anybody that can come to me can uh, have this article, can have my little diagram when I think things are happening and why. And I would say about 1% or 2% <laughs> of the congregation came to me afterwards looking for it. So... I don't think we need to go into all the details when we're preaching it. Hey, we should put that up on Christ Centered and Clear, though. So we need to make sure they get that, that <laughs> diagram. Uh, that'd be awesome. Oh. <laughs> I, I do oh, think that is. that is incredible. It's a chart. You should you should write a book. Um, so I do think the textual issues. So let me say this about the textual issues. Um, I do think it's I think it's important for us not to get into endless, endless speculation, as Jeff has said. And I, I agree. My wife would be in the same category. Um, I do think it's important that we understand that the early the, the early Jews did take a literal interpretation of this. Um, so so, for example, we, we just we just, you know, like looked at, at um, Daniel eight last time. Well, when 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 Alexander the Great comes into Jerusalem, the, the, the scribes bring out the scroll of Daniel and point to Daniel 8 and they say, this is talking about you. And history, the, the history book tells us that Alexander rejoices that, that this is that talking about him. And so they, they, there was a literal, and, and there were Jews in the first century, N.T. Wright talks about this, that there are Jews in the first century who were counting. And they they were doing these these kind of this kind of counting that Jeff's talking about, and they're trying to calculate. And it, and it's, this may be one of the reasons why messianic fervor in the first century was so was so high, um, because they were counting and they were saying, okay, when's the start? When is the start time of this? And when is the end time of this? Now, if you want to get into, um, I, I think the best treatment on this is Harold Honer's um, chronological aspects of the life of Christ. Where he does, and we don't have to get into this, where he does, you know, talking about them using a lunar calendar versus us uh, using a solar calendar um, to the day, like to the day from the decree by Artaxerxes to rebuild the city to the entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, like it, literally to the day, Um you know, this 383 years, whatever. Uh, and so, it's, I mean, it's pretty remarkable uh, whether or not we take that, like if there's one that's like, you know, completely accurate. I do think it's true. I mean, like, you know, he numbers our days and he, he knew exactly when Jesus was going to come and he could, he could tell you, he could say when it was. And so there, there's, there is some comfort in some application there. I would probably throw in maybe, might be a slightly different view. Uh, I haven't read that one, but Vern Poitras has an article in Daniel 9 uh, determining when does the 70 weeks uh, start. And he, he, I found that very helpful there. So there's a little article that I, you could just Google it. I think it's Herman Musical Factors in Determining the Beginning of the 70 Weeks by Vern Poitras. Great scholar. Now be a good time to hear from our sponsor. This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson. Biblical theology allows you to ponder the individual stories and themes of Scripture while observing how they all fit together in God's grand biblical narrative. That's why this unique study Bible features three articles in introducing biblical theology and 25 articles unpacking key themes of Scripture. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible contains detailed book introductions, 20,000 verse-by-verse study notes, 28 theologically rich articles by 
authors such as Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung, hundreds of full-color photos, more than 90 maps, and over 60 charts. All of this allows readers to marvel at the big story while savoring each detail. With a focus on biblical theology and the overarching story of Scripture, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible helps readers follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout the Scriptures. Find out more at nivbiblicaltheologystudybible.com. John, uh, Christ Connections you made out of Daniel 9? Yeah, I just, I, my, my, uh, and that was the main thrust of the sermon, um, was that this, you know, exile from God, exile from the land is, is not going to end until the Messiah is cut off. And so it's the crucifixion of Jesus that bring, that puts an end to sin and tones for our iniquity and brings us back into right relationship with God. And, um, and so that's, so, so that's the key for me. And that, and that's key again. And the reason why I think this chapter is so important is because, um, you're going to see this. You, you see this in Nehemiah and Ezra. The second exodus has happened. They, they've left Babylon. They've come back into the land, but all the promises of God have, are, are not yes and amen in Jesus yet because they're still intermarrying. They're still not following the Torah. They're still, uh, there's still issues at play. And so, uh, and so it's kind of that, uh, McConville has a great article on kind of, uh, eschatology and, Nehemiah and Ezra and, uh, and just talking about kind of this already, not yet, like that they, they are, yes, God kept his promise, second Exodus, they are back in the land, but they're not ruling themselves. They're not, the kingdom's not being established. There still is, uh, sin and, and those kind of things. And so it's, it's the, it's the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the gospel that ultimately is the second Exodus. You know, as Jesus even talks about my departure, my Exodus, uh, at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration. And so that's, that, that key event that's being prophesied in Isaiah and Jeremiah and others, its culmination is, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jeff, anything to add there as far as Christ connections for your people? No, I went to Christ. God's plans are ultimately coming to pass and all fulfilling in Christ being verse 24, but also him being cut off the death, the resurrection. Uh, so yeah, Christ is clearly there predicted planned which is great news but also maybe just going back he was make the prayer that you can tell uh, uh that daniel did he was pleading and confessing but his only hope is not because of our righteousness verse 18 but because of god's mercy mm-hmm. and then we see that pointing to christ so even even daniel who is in many ways, when you think of all the characters in the Old Testament, most of them have got flaws mentioned. There's very few mentioned with Daniel, and yet he's confessing sin, and he's pleading his only hope is God's mercy, Amen. which is ultimately them pointing to, to Jesus. Uh, so you can see uh, God's mercy and then the, how it all will come to pass through Christ. And I think we've shown here, like in, in these podcasts about how to preach Christ, it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, contra kind of a Walt Kaiser, who I, I super respect that, the, that the Christos, the, the, you know, the word for Messiah doesn't have to act, actually be in the text for it to be pointing to the Messiah. But, but that word, the, the word Messiah, uh, Mashiach is here in Daniel nine. Like it's, it's, it is explicitly there in uh, verse 26. And so this is a, this is kind of an easy one as far as that goes. Applications, John, and then Jeff will jump. Yeah, in. so it was it was mainly a it was mainly uh, an evangelistic message of of you know you're separate you're separated from God because of your sin and and here's how that separation is ended in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I did focus a lot as as Jeff kind of hinted at in the prayer 
uh, confession of sin, the, the, the need for us to confess sin and, and the, you know, confess your sin, turn from it, acknowledge, you see Daniel acknowledging that God is right to judge, uh, that we need to be motivated by his glory. Um, and there's a, there's a plea for mercy that God is a forgiving and saving God. And so, uh, I spent, spent quite a bit of time on prayer and confession of sin. Jeff, uh, additions there. Yeah, just uh, prayer, confession, but even prayer works best in response to God's word, uh, when you're seeped in God's word, and then you will end up praying in line with God wants and his promises, which we see modeled here. He was in God's word, knew Jeremiah's passages, prayed, confessed, and actually, uh, so, so yeah, answers were even given. It's an encouraging thing. As soon as he prayed, the answer came. So, you know, don't neglect the, the call to pray here as well as uh, the comfort of how God's plans are going to come to fruition. And I think it's also, it, 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 I think, agreed on the on the being in the word uh, application. And it's, again, as I tried to point out, it's not just like, so Jeremiah is explicitly referenced, but we also see intertextual intertextuality with First Kings 8 uh, and the way that Daniel's obeying the word by praying this prayer. Uh, and so this, that's very key as well. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.